Paul Miller tells a story about with, uh, camping with his five children in the endless mountains of Pennsylvania. And as they were breaking down camp for the weekend, Paul was walking down the hill carrying some of his gear from the campsite to their Dodge caravan when he noticed his 14-year-old daughter standing in front of the van, tense and upset. When I asked her what was wrong, she said, I lost my contact lens. It's gone. I looked down with her at the forest floor, covered with leaves and twigs and a million little crevices for a lens to fall into and disappear. I said, Ashley, don't move. Let's pray. But before I could pray, she burst into tears. What good does that do? I prayed for Kim for years to be able to speak, and she isn't speaking. The one child not on the camping trip was Kim, who is at home with mom. She has autism and numerous developmental delays. Due to her weak, fine motor skills and problems with motor planning, Kim is also mute. In fact, one day after five years of speech therapy, Kim crawled out of the speech therapist's office, crying from frustration, and Jill, the mom, said, no more. So they stopped speech therapy altogether. Prayer was no formality to this young 14-year-old girl, Ashley. She had taken God at his word and asked that he would heal her, her younger sister, Kim, so she could speak. But nothing happened. God was silent. Thus, Ashley concluded that prayer doesn't seem to work. Few people directly articulate the quiet cynicism or the spiritual fatigue that develops in us when heartfelt prayers go unanswered like Ashley experienced. We do not want to come across as ungodly or unspiritual, but doubts can certainly begin to creep into our minds. Paul Miller writes, I needed help when Ashley burst into tears in front of our minivan. I was frozen, caught between her doubts and my concerns for her. At that moment, I had no idea that she had been so fervently praying for Kim to speak over those years. And what made Ashley's tears and complaints so upsetting to me was that she was right. God had not answered her prayers. Kim was still mute. And I was fearful for my daughter's faith. I did not know what to do at that moment. Thoughts flashed through my mind. Would I make the problem worse by praying? If I prayed and we couldn't find the contact, would that just confirm Ashley's growing unbelief? And if I didn't pray, after I said, let's pray, Ashley, what message would that send to her? I had no confidence that we would find the contact, so I silently prayed, Father, this would be an important time for you to come through. You've got to hear this prayer for the sake of Ashley. Then I prayed with Ashley. Father, help us find this contact. When I finished, we bent down to look through the leaves, the dirt, and the twigs, and there sitting on a leaf was the missing lens. Prayer made a difference after all. Can you relate to this story? Maybe you've gone through periods in your life or perhaps years having prayers that were unanswered. And then almost all of a sudden, out of nowhere, prayers get clearly answered. 
Last Sunday, I shared with you about our oldest daughter, Rachel, having been missing for over a week and a half during the holidays, and we had no contact with her, not knowing where she was, and as a vulnerable adult with disability issues, that was terrifying for her mother and I. As a devout Green Bay Packers fan, which she is, uh, when there was no communication from her whatsoever, uh, when the Green Bay Packers beat Miami Dolphins on Christmas Day and nothing got posted online, we got real concern. Also, the fact that it was Christmas Day and she didn't respond to any of our texts or calls added to our concerns. And for the next six days, we had no idea where she was. So we ended up filing a missing persons report with the Minneapolis Police Department, and our daughter became known as case number 153. Now, for 35-plus years, we have prayed that our daughter Rachel would be seizure-free and be better able to manage her behavior. And many people in this church have prayed those very same prayers for her. And these prayers have not been completely answered. Rachel has also desperately prayed to this end, wanting to maintain her independence, and it has severely tested her faith not to have her prayers completely answered. Yet last Sunday when I shared this about our daughter being missing for a week and a half and how she was miraculously found and all of the anguish that Cindy and I and the rest of our family experienced in the meantime and how we had asked during this time period uh, family members and accountability partners to pray for us in our dilemma, what we didn't know was that God was burdening people's hearts in our church to pray as well at this same time. A lady after last Sunday's service texted us and said that during that period of time, three different occasions in her devotions, God prompted her to pray for Rachel. One lady told us on Thursday night, which really was the wee hours or early hours of Friday morning, she was awakened. And that was the day when everything came to a head a little over a week ago. She was awakened in the middle of the night, burdened to pray for us, and she didn't know what was going on. So she told her husband the next day that for two hours I just prayed the blessings and the promises of God over Pastor Daryl and Cindy. God miraculously answered those prayers. God even invited people into this process who had no idea what was going on. So on the one hand, we have what appear to be unanswered prayers of over 35 years as our daughter still struggles with her seizure disorder and her behavior issues. Yet, miraculously, she was found and is cared for. Prayer does make a difference. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, we read, this is a confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. The apostle John says we can have confidence in prayer when we pray according to God's will. I appreciate what one commentator, Dave Gusick, says about this passage. For each prayer request, we should mentally or vocally ask, what possible reason do I have to think God will answer this prayer? We should be able to answer that question from God's Word. God's Word shows us the way. It reveals to us God's will, which begins with focusing on what the Bible has to say. And here's an important message um, from the Bible regarding God's will. When it comes to prayer, here's a message that we're going to talk about today. God's Word tells us that we are to become like children. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. 
When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. This rebuke undoubtedly would have surprised the disciples. To them, it would have seemed odd. Children weren't even accountable for the law until they were, uh, you know, bar mitzvah, until they were the age of accountability, the age of reasoning, 13 years of age. And back then, children were not considered to be so cute and so innocent. It's only been since the 19th century romantic era that children have been so idolized, particularly in the West, like they are today. Listen to another text, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. It says the following. At the same time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to them and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It tells us point blank there that we are to become like children. And one thing you need to know about children Children are messy. See, often when we pray, we try to be spiritual. We try to be better than we really are. We try to act like we're in control or we got this. We tend not to come just as we are. But the reality is nothing exposes our selfishness. Nothing exposes our helplessness. Nothing exposes our powerlessness quite like prayer does. In contrast, little children never get locked up by their selfishness. They come as they are, totally self-absorbed. And as parents and grandparents and mentors, in most cases, we are simply delighted to find out just what's on their hearts. And we don't scold them for being self-absorbed. And we don't scold them or berate them for being fearful. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the way God is toward us. You know, Jesus didn't say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are spiritual, all you who have learned to concentrate in prayer, whose minds never wander, and who never come to me being selfish, and I will give you rest. No, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. What is it like to be weary? Well, I'll tell you what it's like to be weary. I'm pretty weary today. We were up half the night last night because our daughter's having more complications. And law enforcement had to be called and she had to be hospitalized again. And, and uh, she was out in the cold. All kinds of horrible things happening last night. Cindy can't even be here today because she's got to be at home to hear and respond to authorities' calls and then to drive down there and provide what needs need to be made. You know what it's like to be weary? It means it's hard to concentrate. It's being overwhelmed by life. It means being emotional, exhausted, not at one's best. And what's it like to be burdened? Similar. That your problems begin, you have so many problems you don't even know where to begin. You're weighed down. You're carrying a heavy load. And God wants us to come as we are. Like little children, runny noses, and all saying what's on their minds. No pretense, no spiritual air about them. You know, spiritual directors who mentor people in prayer have told me on a number of occasions that the way people often approach prayer is the last great bastion of legalism in the church. They say it's the place of our greatest hypocrisy. 
where we try to be what we are not. We try to be spiritual and having it all together when we really don't have it all together. And a text that really got me thinking about prayer and becoming like children is in Matthew 21. And this is the, the account where Jesus cleansed the temple of the moneylenders. And it, it reads as follows in verses 12 through 16. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting, children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. The godly people, supposedly, the spiritual people, the chief priests, the, the teachers of the law were the ones who had turned God's house of prayer into a den of thieves. And yet when Jesus shows up and Jesus does his work, who are the ones who recognize it? Children are the ones who see what Jesus is doing. And they praise God for it. And by the way, praise is a form of prayer. When we're singing to God, we're praying to God. That's a form of prayer. You know, as I shared in my devotional today in this prayer guide that we have on day one, I quoted from Corey Ten Boom, who once said, if something is too small to be a prayer request, then it's too small to be a burden. You know, we spiritualize prayer so much that we determine what we should even ask God for or not ask God for. Oh, we won't bother God with that. Or you don't need to pray about that. Or we, we, we spiritualize things so much that we take things that we think are too small to pray about, but we carry burdens around about them. Instead of adulting in our prayer lives and trying to be someone we are not, bring the real you to meet the real God. Become like a child. And this means that we ask like a child does. And how do children ask for things? And what do children ask for? Children ask for everything and anything, whatever comes to their mind. And they do it repeatedly over and over again to the point of wearing their parents down. Any parents out there know what I'm talking about here today? You, you're tracking with me? You understand that? You know, I have a confession to make here. I could say no so much easier to my children's requests as a parent when I was raising them than I can do today as a grandparent with my grandchildren. Something happened when grandchildren came along. I used to have a steel spine. I lost it. It's gone. Now, certainly, I probably have more resources so I can do more than I could do back then. But literally, it's so hard to say no because I want to do everything for them or give them everything. And often, children have no awareness whatsoever of what's appropriate or what's inappropriate. They don't even know if their parents can do what they're asking for or can their mom and dad even afford this. They just ask. No deception. No guile. They hear about something or they see something or they catch an advertisement and they want it. And they boldly ask for it. Do you remember what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Here it is. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? One young Christian family that I read about recently was at the dinner table when their young infant son said his first word. Reaching toward the butter, he said, boo-boo, boo-boo. Now the parents didn't say to him that moment, John, the first thing you should be saying is please. Okay, they didn't say that. And they didn't say, by the way, John, it's not boo-boo, it's butter. They didn't do that. And they didn't even go as far as to say, you know, we're a little offended, John, because we were really hoping that the first word you uttered would be dada or mama. And son, there seems to be a self-orientation issue here that if this goes on unchecked in your life, it's going to cause you problems later on. No, they didn't do anything like that. That's not what these parents did after they chuckled and laughed a little bit. You know what they did? They gave him some butter. They gave him what he asked for. And if human parents, with all of our flaws in life, will give their children good gifts, how much more will our heavenly Father do? And our children's requests, no matter how trivial they are, they tug at our hearts a little bit. And God's word reveals, hey, it gets to me too. It gets to me too. I do the same thing. So ask, become like a child. And you know when when children ask for things? They believe. So pray believing like children. Do you know that children have an amazing confidence uh, about their parents' abilities? They they have incredible confidence in their parents' talents and their parents' intelligence and their parents' love and their parents' power. They instinctively trust their parents. And all things being equal, they believe that their parents want good for them. And so, so this kind of love and protection from parents opens a child's world to all kinds of possibilities. And dreams and hopes are very much a part of this all-things-are-possible world for children. And there's more. They believe that their parents will eventually say yes if they just keep asking. It's childlike faith that drives their persistence. You know, there's a story in the Bible about persistence. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. We're not going to read that right now. You can, I encourage you to read it this week. But it's the account of the persistent widow who keeps asking an unjust judge for justice. And she's not willing to take no for an answer. And the, this passage teaches that if an unjust judge will answer such a per- persistent request, how much more will God? the just ruler of the universe. And the passage says, whose chosen ones cry out to him day and night. And the summation of this passage says, when the Lord comes, will he find such faith on the earth? You know, as we age, we become less childlike. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's good that we grow up. It's good that we mature, that we become adults, that we bear responsibility in life, that we learn to think critically. But it becomes bad when we allow life's disappointments, life's hard lessons, life's broken palm promises and the like to jade us and to make us cynical. 
Childlike faith, they say, say, dies a thousand deaths in the school of hard knocks and in the school of reality. And yes, becoming less naive is part of growing up. But that does not mean that we shouldn't hope and we shouldn't dream and we shouldn't pray to those ends, believing great things about our God and believing and expecting great things from our God, trusting God, as the book of Ephesians teaches, to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, pray, or imagine. Becoming like a child means to pray, believing like a child. You know, it's been said that the American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We're so busy that it's really hard to slow down to pray. We have so many resources, so many services, so many competent people to help meet our needs. We also, in this culture, prize accomplishments, production and entertainment, all of which gets directly in the way of prayer. And likewise, in a culture that prizes intellect and wealth, we can get accustomed to doing life without God. Prayer seems nice in our culture, but not really necessary. In fact, money can often do what prayer does, and money is less time-consuming, so many times we'll just throw money at something. The inclination in the American culture is to trust in ourselves, trust in our talents, trust in our accomplishments, trust even in others, or trust in our wealth, and this makes us independent of God, and it translates into all of that independence of prayer. But all we need as a culture, is one little incident, like last Monday night, nationally, when Damar Hamlin, a defensive back for the Buffalo Bills, seven minutes and 25 seconds into a game that has so much significance that determines uh, who hosts playoff sites in the upcoming playoffs, he makes a tackle of a receiver from Cincinnati, and it's not even a vicious or a violent hit, just kind of a routine tackle, but in his thoracic cavity, it hits in the right exact spot in the intercostals where the nerves come through that, that stimulate the heart and the rhythm of the heart, and he goes into cardiac arrest instantly right there on the field. And because they have AFib machines right there on the side and they have doctors right there and they could j- jump on them and do cardiac rehab, they are doing a, a CPR with them, and they were able to get his heart going again. And even in the ambulance, when it stopped, they were able to get his heart going again in those two instances. But what happened uh, after that is what's so remarkable. The players from each team gathered together to pray. And the NFL, after five to seven minutes after he's carted out the field, they wanted him to warm back up and play again. And the coaches and players said, no, no, this is too significant. And they prayed. Even an ESPN announcer prayed on national television at that moment. And people who are unbelievers, some who have publicly stated their unbelief, commented on how nice it was to see people come together like that in prayer. Now, for our family, besides our own daughter's situation, Cindy and I also had a great niece this week who's just a little over a month old. I was born a little bit early last month and was hospitalized for a week and a half, uh, almost two weeks after her birth, just because of that. And then this last week was taken back into the hospital, fighting for her life, struggling to breathe, diagnosed with RSV, Elizabeth Marie Stanos. And our minds and our thoughts throughout each day she was hospitalized 
was going to her. And we were offering up prayers constantly. We couldn't sit down and eat a meal and not pray for her right there. Every, we go to bed, we would pray for her. Every time we could think of her, we're praying for her in that situation. And miraculously, Friday night, she was able to come home with her parents. And why do we do this? Why do players and people do that at a football game? Why do we do this in our situations? Because prayer does make a difference. So become like a little child and pray, believing that God will act. This is a confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for this week of prayer that you have laid upon us as a church and a church family, many other churches in our denomination doing it at the same time. And we recognize even churches around the world devoting a week uh, to prayer at the beginning of, uh, of this new year. And Lord, we don't claim to understand all the nuances of of prayer, and we, we know, God, you are so amazing that your thoughts are not our thoughts, and your not, ways are not our ways. Uh, but, but, God, you invite us to come to you and to pray and to seek your will and to seek your face. And I pray that we'll do that this week. And, God, uh, just we, we look forward to the great things that we know you are going to do in our lives, in our church, and in this world because of this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.